chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. House lights, please. Verses 1 through 5. The word said, There were present at that season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Gentiles or Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You may not get it from that passage of Scripture, but you'll get it for the next verses I'll share in just a minute. I want to preach to you today a message I've simply titled for this new year, One Year From Now. One Year From Now. If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I pray for the next few moments you would move me out of the way, decrease me until I am nothing. I feel like the psalmist when he said, I'm a worm and no man. God, I need your anointing to deliver your word today. So I ask that you'd anoint these lips of clay, that I would not speak with my words or with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but God, I would declare your word today and it would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. God, I ask that you'd anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you're speaking to us this day at the beginning of this new year. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Don't get nervous. I'm going to move quickly. In this passage today, and if you need to adjust me some, you may need to. I don't want to, I want to be a blessing, not a blasting. Somebody say amen. In this passage today, Jesus was speaking a word of warning. That's a word we don't talk about a lot in the church anymore, but he was speaking a word of warning to his disciples as well as those who were gathered around to hear him. And he first spoke about the Galileans whose blood was mingled with their sacrifices. What does that mean? It means these people were actually in a place where they were offering some type, some type of religious observance, some type of sacrifice, but yet there was a sudden violence came upon them and they killed people and fought to the death and there was their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifice. And Jesus then referred to others who were killed in a tower in Siloam when it fell. In, in this besieged city of that time, people would go up into that tower and they would close the doors and the windows hoping that they had built as a place of personal safety would protect them. They were hoping that what they had personally built, and that's important, as a place of personal safety would protect them. Remember that. In other words, sudden judgment come upon all the people that Jesus mentioned and what they believed to be a place of safety in their lives, their sacrifice, their tower that they built, what they believed to be a place of safety was proven to be insufficient. However, Jesus went on to say, on down in this passage of Scripture, that these people were not more evil than the rest of their society of that day. And Jesus warned all of the listeners to repent, essentially saying, listen, if your place of worship, hear me, church, if your place of worship is not sincere, if it is not true, 
if it is merely a place of comfort that you have built for yourself within your own heart. My God, somebody help me preach this morning. That's the shape a lot of the church world is in. Our place of worship is not sincere. It's not true. It's merely a place of comfort that we've built in our own hearts for ourselves. But I want to tell you, that will not protect you in the days to come. Did you hear me this morning? That will not protect you in the days to come. Oh, pastor, I like it comfortable. I don't like it when it gets uncomfortable. I don't like it when you preach right down where I'm living. Well, I didn't come to make you happy. God didn't call me to make you happy. God called me to preach the Word, and the Word will make you holy. That's what the gospel is all about. It will not protect you in the coming days if it's something that you've built as a place of comfort for yourself. But on down in the same theme, Jesus continued with this parable. And here's where the title for today came from. Let's read verses 6 through 9. He also spoke, the word said, this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? In other words, it's wasting space. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also. God spoke to me through this passage of Scripture. And I want some of you to understand the importance of this year. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well or good. And if it does not, after that, you can cut it down. In other words, the owner of that vineyard was saying, for three years, I've come searching for fruit on this tree. And that fruit can only be born through a genuine conversion by the Spirit of God. Are you with me this morning? That's the only way fruit can be born in the church. A genuine conversion by the Spirit of God. Just because somebody, I know some people ain't going to like this. I don't believe you have to come to the altar and make a spectacle of yourself to get saved. I believe you can pray the prayer of salvation at your seat. I believe sometimes you will come to the altar. Sometimes you'll run to the altar. I like those kind of services where conviction is so strong, multiple people run to the altar and they cry out to God. That's, that's what the presence and the power of God is all about to start with. But you can pray the prayer of salvation at your seat. But I want to tell you something today. Don't you fool yourself that just because you filled out a little decision card somewhere and said, today I'm going to start following Jesus, that everything's all right with you, and when you leave this world, everything's going to be okay and you're going to enter into heaven. That's not what this book says. As a matter of fact, this book says not everything that says, Lord, Lord, is even going to enter into heaven. I want to tell you today, if the church needs anything, we need fruit that is only produced by a genuine conversion by the Spirit of God. But that's what the owner of this vineyard was saying. I, I can't find any. I wonder what the Lord says about some of our churches nowadays. A lot of people attending, but there ain't no fruit. A lot of trees taking up space. My God, somebody help me preach this morning. A lot of people claiming the kingdom, but they're not winning souls. A genuine conversion by the Spirit of God, yet I, I can't find any. Instead, instead... 
you've crafted a tower of protection for yourself in your own mind. And you're still doing what you used to do, and you're covering it up under the name of religion. Mm -hmm. So, what do we need to do, Pastor? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we got to learn to hate sin. That's a strong word. Stay with me. We would be wise to heed the lesson of this parable. We don't need to just be taking up space in the kingdom, not bearing any fruit. Are you with me? We would be wise to heed the lesson of this parable. Our lives must be bearing fruit that can only come from the indwelling presence of God. Why do you worship the way you do, Pastor? I told him in Connect class this morning because that's the way I express the indwelling presence of God. I want to tell you, it was so rich and real in here earlier. Sometimes I fight myself and I go home wondering if I did the right thing because I could cut loose and I know some of y'all would be scared flat out of your minds and then you would say, I'm not going back to that church. That guy's crazy. Those people are crazy. But I want to tell you, sometimes the indwelling presence of God inside of you will cause you to shout. It'll cause you to run. It'll cause you to, there'll be a manifestation of the presence and the Spirit of God. And can I tell you, this world is not looking for a dead church. They're looking for a church on fire with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because that's the only thing that'll bring a genuine conversion, the power of the Holy Spirit. And our lives have got to be bearing fruit by the indwelling presence of God. It can't come through human sacrifice. It can't come through artificial religious observances. Nor does it come by crafting a place of safety in our own minds that everything's okay. It requires a deliberate turning away. From sin, a deliberate and intentional turning away from what the Word of God says is wrong and to what the Word of God says is right and trusting God for the strength to perform it. That means we must, here we go, we got to begin to be able to see sin in our own lives. Uh huh. The way God sees it. And then we need to hate what God hates. Now, in a world that tells you God loves everything, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you love everything too, right? Let me read to you, according to the Word of God, out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Watch this. Six things. Everybody do that. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, Seven, the seventh one, is an abomination unto him. Are you ready? Let's go through them. A proud look, we're going to talk about it. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations or plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and look at what seven is, one who sows discord among the brethren. In a world that tells you God loves everything, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you should love everything too. Let me take just a minute to talk about a few things that this book just said to us in multiple translations. I think I gave you the New King James, 
but in multiple translations it uses the word hate. This what this book says God hates, and if we are followers of Jesus, then we're supposed to hate what God hates. Are you with me? Listen, we got to learn to hate pride. I could preach, I debated about a seven-week series out of this message. We got to learn to hate pride, particularly our own pride. Somebody say, oh me. You're on the bandwagon with me. We got to hate our own pride. One of the hardest things, take it from somebody who knows, one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is admit that you are wrong or were wrong. And maybe, I'm going to take that a step further because I've had to do this too. Maybe sometimes you weren't necessarily wrong. Are you with me? But you'll have to take the high road anyway. Mm. Everybody wasn't with me on that one. One of the most sobering things that I've learned in dealing with people is that perception is reality. Did you know that? Perception is reality. In other words, if it was perceived that way by them, then it was that way to them. Are you with me? And doing what it takes to mend relationships many times will take acknowledging and rebuking your own pride to admit that you were wrong. We gotta learn to hate pride, even our own pride. That's where we gotta start. Next, we gotta learn to hate a lie. I could preach a whole sermon on this one too. Can I tell you something this morning? There is no such thing as a little white lie. That is non-existent. If it's not the truth, it's a lie. I have even heard ministers of the gospel tell things they knew was not true from the pulpit just to maybe get a laugh or something like that out of somebody. I'm not talking about an innocent joke or a a rhyme or a riddle or anything like that. I'm talking about don't ever fabricate in your mind that it's okay to tell something that's not true. If it's not truth, it's a lie. We're also supposed to speak the truth in love. And even if that means sometimes, like me, you struggle with the love being the obvious part. Is anybody with me this morning? I don't have any trouble speaking the truth. Sometimes, though, I have to try my best to rehearse how to speak the truth in love. But even if you sometimes struggle with love being the obvious part, speak the truth anyway. Can I get a witness this morning? Speak the truth anyway. Why? Because this book says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't get hurt at me when you come sit down in my office and tell me what you're going through in your life and I look at you and tell you well right there's one of your problems you need to mark up to that and then you get upset and you say oh I didn't want to hear that listen I didn't come to make you happy God didn't call me to make you happy God didn't write the book to make us happy God wrote the book to make us holy we've got to learn to embrace the truth because I want to tell you something You want to get tangled up in a web of bondage? Somebody hear me today. I said somebody hear me today. You want to get tangled up in a web of bondage in your life? You start embracing a little dishonesty and a little false perceptions. And you'll get get wound up and tangled up in a web of bondage you never wanted to be in. Moving on, we got to learn to hate hands that shed innocent blood. 
I might lose, I don't know how many I'll lose on this. But you think it's okay to kill an unborn baby? Read that one again. I said read that one again. There's no more innocent blood that I know of than an unborn baby. And the Bible says God hates that. What else do you need? And somebody says, oh, now don't get political, Pastor. I'm going to say it anyway. What else do you need as a child of God before you go to the voting booth? Then to know if God hates it, you can't stand for it. Bottom line. We got to learn to hate a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running into trouble and mischief. I think those two are pretty self-explanatory. But some, most of the time, it's our heart devising wicked plans and our feet wanting to run right into the middle of trouble. We got to learn to hate the sowing of dissension and discord among brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to tell you something else. We ought to hate the racism of the day that we're living in. The Bible says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's in 1 John 3 and 15. You can try to justify it any way you want. But if you become a part of this present divided society that is full of hatred and finger pointing, the Bible clearly says you don't have eternal life living in you. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. But once you learn to hate sin, we got to come to the point where we're convinced, here it goes, that we cannot save or change ourselves. You and I cannot do good for any length of time because we are so bent of corruption inside these earthen vessels. we got to recognize, as Paul did in Romans 7 and 18, Paul said, in me dwells no good thing. In me dwells no good thing. He also understood, he said in Galatians 2 and 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, thank God, and gave himself for me. Though we deserve to die, Jesus took our place and bore our sins on that cross. Somebody say, thank God for grace and mercy. Paul said it this way in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. Listen, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So understand that. If you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you're not saved. Do we believe around here if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven? Absolutely not. The Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of you at salvation. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a totally separate experience that is evidenced, and that's another sermon, by speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But he says, if anybody don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, for if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And in the context of how it was spoken, becoming a son or a daughter of God means that by the Spirit, say by the Spirit, 
by the Spirit were put to death the deeds of the body. That's how you know you are truly a child of God. The Holy Spirit is moving you from the old way of living, is anybody with me, to the way that God has ordained for your life. So if you truly experience salvation, I've had people want to argue this with me before. Do I believe that you'll have struggles? Sure I do. There's people in this church that can testify to you. They got down an altar of prayer as a drug addict. They got up saved a drug addict. And the next day, they had to battle the addiction, and some went through rehab. There's been a few that didn't go through rehab, just had a miraculous encounter with Jesus that just took all of that away from them. But a lot of times, they've got to go through rehab. they got to get their alcoholics get up, and they're saved. But tomorrow morning, they're going to face the battle of the alcohol. Uh, listen to me. Salvation is instantaneous. Did you hear me? Salvation takes place right the moment you pray and ask God to forgive you. But sanctification is a process. But if you are truly truly saved and truly a child of God, you'll wake up the next day knowing, okay, I'm addicted to that substance, but I want rid of that. I'm addicted to that lifestyle, but I don't want part of that anymore. And that's when you begin to call on God. There's one sitting on the back row this morning that can testify to you and tell you what God did in her life. And if you call unto Him, He will answer you and He will help you through things you cannot do yourself. Paul continued in verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit so that we are the children of God. In other words, there's an inner knowledge that we belong to God, an inner desire to move away from what hinders us and what will bring glory and honor to the Lord. Sure, listen to me, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. But there's a covering for those mistakes and those moments of weakness. Ultimately, there's a cry that comes back in the heart where you say, Father, forgive me. And there is that blood that washes over you again. And we want to keep moving closer and closer toward God. Listen, I'm not interested in building a false altar or a false tower of protection whereby people think they're okay and they're not. We desire the life, the fruit, power and the protection of the Holy Spirit. The last thing before I close today, returning to the parable Jesus told, I want you to notice that the innkeeper, the keeper of the vineyard, sorry, not the innkeeper, I'm back at Christmas now, the keeper of the vineyard said, sir, let it alone this year also. He said, I, until I dig around it and fertilize it, in other words, Please have mercy. I'll do my best to dig around that tree and get down to the roots from where it draws its life source. I'll not only expose its roots, but I'll put something there to encourage it to grow and to bear fruit. I want to tell you, like the keeper of the vineyard, I often find myself pleading for the mercy of God for many people in the body of Christ in this generation. Listen, folks, I'm concerned about people that just want to come to the house of God and merely just want to hear the promises of God and just merely just want to enjoy the presence in the worship and just merely want to bypass holy just to be happy. Their lives are not bearing fruit. And if you're living that way, you're settling for a sacrifice that will not protect you. A tower that will not keep you in the days ahead. 
And of course, my intention is not simply to just expose sin and cause people to admit, okay, preacher, you got me. I'm at fault. I'm charting my own course. I'm creating my own system of truth. I've been building a tower that I believe would protect me, yet suddenly everything's coming crashing down. That's, that's not my sole goal. If all I did, listen to me, if all I ever did was expose why a fruitless tree was fruitless, there'd be nothing that would remain except a sense of hopelessness. Did you hear me? If all I ever do is expose the reasons why a tree's not bearing fruit, there'll be nothing left but a sense of hopelessness. But not only do the roots need to be exposed, if you're, if you're just taking up space in the kingdom, you need to dig around yourself. And I said you need to dig around yourself. The old timers used to say it this way, digging out. That's what, that's what they used to cry. They used to say, uh, or digging in. They would say, I, I dug in to the Word of God. You need to dig in around you. You need to expose those roots and then you need to fertilize them with the Word. You need to fertilize them with spiritual disciplines. You need to fertilize them with fasting. You need to fertilize them with prayer. The things that will give you the ability to grow. That's why it's my desire to always offer the full counsel of God. I want to put everything around your roots that I can that's necessary for life to grow so that you begin to produce fruit that can only come by the presence and the Spirit of God. So I said all that that I've said to say this. One year from today. Remember that the owner of the vineyard said, and if it bears fruit, good. But if not, after that you can cut it down. Here's my question to you today. One year from now, are you willing to have somebody else sitting in your seat in church? Listen, you need to understand, folks. Nobody preaches this anymore, but I'm going to. You need to understand that there does come a point where you no longer have an opportunity. You need to understand that. My spirit will not always strive with man. The word said. There another passage of scripture said he turned them over to a reprobate mind. It's a dangerous thing to override conviction in your life. You need to understand you won't always have the choice and the opportunity. There's a point when God says, I'm sorry, this person can't be reached anymore. And you come out from under conviction. So I'm going to tell you, if you're feeling convicted about something in your life right here this morning, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing, actually. If you're feeling the day-to-day -day struggle in your life because you're making, attempt at, making an attempt at living for Jesus, but you know inside your heart that some of the things in your life are still not pleasing to God, be thankful. Be thankful because that's called conviction. But when conviction leaves you, the joy of the Lord escapes you. And thoughts come into your mind for you to just simply dive wholeheartedly into your own pursuit. Whatever pleases me. Whatever that may be. And eventually, I want to tell you what happens. And I debated about making it this plane. But in eight and a half years, I'm going to make it this plane. Eventually, you vacate your seat in the church and somebody else fills it. You walk away from your inheritance and willingly give up your place in the kingdom. Sadly enough, I've seen it happen over and over again. So I want to ask you the question today. Where will you be in your walk with Jesus one year from now?
It's a personal question. Where will you be one year from now? You know, what a sobering thought that is as they come to the music this morning. What a sobering thought that is. Is this your first year or is this your last year? This could be either your last year of sitting in the house of God where over the next 12 months you get spiritually dull and bored or it could be your first year of total surrender. That's my prayer. Coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and entering into the fullness of what God has for your life. Because can I tell some of you, God has more for you than you even realize. And you might be so transformed. You may be saved this morning, but still, you might be so transformed one year from now that you'll be telling everybody around you what God's done. And you won't even have to tell your friends, family, and your co-workers and everybody around you because they'll see change that's taken place in your life. But let me tell you what there has to be. There has to be a determination in your heart that says, nobody's going to take my place. I refuse to build a false tower and give up what God intended to do through my life. I refuse. You've got to make a choice. I refuse to build a false tower and give up what God intended to do in my life. I want to encourage you today, let this be your first year. Let this be the beginning of your new journey of letting God go after everything in your life that is hindering you from His presence. I want to tell you, if you'll ask Him, He'll show you what's there. If you've been walking around saying, I don't know what's wrong, I can't feel the presence of the Lord anymore. People around me are worshiping and I don't feel anything in church. I don't feel anything when I pray. I don't feel anything when I read the Word. I promise you, if you'll ask God to show you what's there, God will show you. And guess what? You don't need somebody else to show you. God can show you. And if you'll ask him to take all of those things that are hindering his presence in your life, then you'll allow him to put in all the promises and the provision necessary to cause your life to bear fruit for his glory. That's what it's all about. But it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. All things have a beginning. All turning points have a specific moment in time where a decision was made, a choice was made, and a change was initiated. And I pray to God that every single person seated in this room or watching online today would make that choice. Sunday, January the 2nd, 2022, was a day of new in my life. Doesn't that sound good? I heard, I've heard God speaking that in my ears over the last two days. I've heard God saying, I'm about to do something new in 2022. That's not just a cliche. Shauna said it when she opened the service, uh, and she had no idea what I was even preaching today. I was listening to the side room. You couldn't hear me amening her and supporting her, but Shauna said exactly what the Lord spoke to me. I'm going to do something new in 2022. What are you talking about, Pastor? Esther, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Here's what the Word said. But forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'm going to make a pathway 
through the wilderness. I'm going to create rivers in the wasteland. God said, I'm going to perfect that which concerns you. 2022, God wants to do something new. Stand with me all over this room. Listen to me this morning. If you resist your defining moment of noon, then you very well may miss what God's getting ready to do. I'm going to say that again. If you resist your defining moment of noon, you may very well miss what God's getting ready to do. Don't miss it. Right here, right now, today, embrace your defining moment of noon. Hallelujah. You'll choose today where you'll be one year from now. Everybody in this room, you can't escape it now. I said you can't escape it now. You've been given the charge. You've got to choose today where you're going to be one year from now. But you have to make that decision. As they sing this morning, this altar's open. And I want to ask whoever will, everybody that will, to join me at this altar of prayer this morning and choose the new